At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey everybody, we've got a cool podcast for you today because we are talking about some cars from the 1990s. That's right. Believe it or not, the 90s were over two decades ago. These are cars which are becoming classic, which are affordable, which you should probably buy now before they appreciate in value. And we're also talking about something pretty cool. Yeah, so it's a new year. You know, that means that 1998 was 25 years ago now, which means there's a whole slew of 90s cars, late 90s cars, that you can now import legally to the U.S. So if you are not familiar or if you are watching abroad here in the U.S., we have pretty strict import rules about bringing in cars that weren't sold here new. Essentially, they have to be 25 years or older to be legally registered uh, by your average person. So that's a moving target, right? So 25 years from the year 2000, well, that would have been in like the mid-70s. 25 years ago from this new year, that's 1998. So we're going to talk about some cars that are legal. Of course, make sure that they are, um, in fact, built in that right time period. Don't yeah. come after us if they if you can't get them through the border. That's all we're saying. Yeah, that's the important thing is obviously check the build dates on it because that's that's when you can actually import it. It's not like, oh, it's a 98 model, so I can import it January 1st. Not necessarily if they sold it or built it in November. Now, here's the thing, right? Um, when you think about cars that are imported, you typically think of like rare sports cars, like old Jaguars or like high-end Japanese sports cars. But Brendan has actually put together a list of cars which are so weird and off the cuff. <laughs> and then we're also talking about some American alternatives, which are fantastic and affordable and cheap, which you can buy here locally. So what is this hideous blob <laughs> behind me? So this is the Fiat Multipla. Uh, and 98 was the first year that they built the Fiat Multipla. And if you want to have something truly unique and a face only a mother could love... Uh, I, I suggest you, you go out and try and import one of these. <laughs> Certainly you're going to be the from only... The, from Europe. <laughs> you're going to be the only person on your block that has a multipla. Look, look at the seating configuration. Three in the front, not a bench, a bucket configuration. Three in the rear. Exactly. Yeah, it was a really unique car uh, that they, they were trying to basically make like a European minivan. And so they did that by making it kind of wide and very bubbly and spacious uh, so that you could fit three across seating in two rows. Now, if you had to describe this car to someone who's never seen it before and is listening to the podcast, how would you describe it? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I would say that uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's like you have two bubbles, right? And you <laughs> cut one of the bubbles in half and then put a smaller bubble on top of it. I would say that's kind of that's kind of how I would describe it. It kind of reminds me that like you would take a Ford Fiesta, you cut the roof off a Ford Fiesta, and then you park a Tupperware container on top, <laughs> and you've got yourself the Fiat Multipla. Now these cars were hated when they were new for their styling, kind of like the Aztec, um, yep. but nowadays are still hated, but in kind of a fun way, right? Right, and I mean this is something I have said before. In the cars that are hated in the past. 
tend to be future classics. Did Top Gear really name this car Car of the Year? You have this in our notes. Yes, they Jeez. did. Top Gear named it. Sorry, I was looking back. At it, but yes, Top Gear did name it Car of the Year. But Car Throttle in 2014 voted it, and this was a, a user-voted thing, the ugliest car of all time. Yeah. That is interesting. <laughs> now, let's go back to that theory you had. Yes. Right? Cars that were hated are collectible now. That's an interesting theory, right? Because people think that, oh, well, the cars that were really good in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s are the car you want now. But there is a subset of folks that want the ugly ducklings out there. Absolutely. And, I mean, think about this. When this came out in 98, it was so different and such a departure from anything that was on the road that the MoMA in New York actually put it on display as a futuristic design. <laughs> really? They put it on display as a futuristic design. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's an interesting vehicle. It's It's not super interesting to drive. You can get them in a manual, but it's, let's face it, it's basically a minivan. Well, it's like right. a little hatchback thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty small. Now, let's talk about some of the American alternatives. We're talking about cars that are kind of blobby, maybe a little weird looking, um, maybe from the 90s, that are cars that may be worth buying today just because of the weirdness. And you wrote down the Toyota Previa. Absolutely. Yeah, the Toyota Previa, I think some people know about it, but there are a lot of people that aren't shopping for these. And as such, they're still pretty affordable. Uh, these had a mid-engine car that could also be, or mid-engine minivan that could also be supercharged and you could get it with a manual transmission. So you could have a mid-engine, manual transmission, supercharged Toyota from the 90s. I also want to say you could get these in all-wheel drive, right? Yes, I believe you could. So I think it was, was it rear-wheel drive and all-wheel drive? I want to say that was the yes. layout. Yeah, it was mid-engine, rear-wheel drive. Now, this is fantastic, right? They do look like eggs. They do. Um, yep. They're not an attractive van by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that now that they're some 25 years out of production, the Previ is one of those cars where you see one on the road, you're like, that's a pretty freaking cool design. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's still, to this day, so different from anything else that you'd see on the road. And I think that's why it's it kind of harkens to that Fiat Multipla, right? It's so weird, so different. And a lot of people really hated it when it was new that I think nowadays it's Kind of endearing. Do you think people actually listen to this podcast? Any other car podcast is like, let's talk about the new 911, right? Or you've got like the, the highbrow ones that are like, ooh, yes, the Porsche 356 is actually not as good as some of the early 911s. We're out here talking about egg-shaped Toyotas from the 1990s. <laughs> we're, we're here to give you information <laughs> that you haven't gotten yet. You know, you could go many other places and get information on the 911 or the... The latest Mustangs or whatever, but only here can you hear about Fiat Multiplas and Toyota Previas. Now, I'm reading the Wikipedia page on the Previa, okay. trying to pretend like I'm an expert. Did you know the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety gave the Toyota Previa a poor rating? Really? Well, I, wonder, I mean, your legs are the crumple zones. Of course <laughs> it's going to have a true. poor rating. And there's no engine in front of you to... to stop anything from coming into the cabin. So I guess that makes sense. We as a society have forgotten how to make interesting vans. I agree. Remember the Volkswagen bus, rear-engined, yep. you know, the Previa mid-engined. They were all, the, the core, there was like that Corvair van thing, those air-cooled rear-engine. Now they're all just these front-engine blobs. We got to make some mid- and rear-engine blobs. That's what I'm saying. No, I agree. I mean, think about the other one that I have on here on our list, too, is like the Chevy Lumina slash Oldsmobile Silhouette or Pontiac Transport. Um, when those came out, a lot of people thought they were pretty darn ugly and they didn't sell very well. Uh I think there was a movie where that had the Oldsmobile silhouette in it, though, that they said it was the Cadillac of minivans. And I'm talking the first gen, yeah, that, that nice wedge shape that has this huge windshield in front. And so it really gives you kind of a unique driving experience and a unique view out of the windshield. Now, these were called the Dustbusters. Yes. By people because they looked like an actual little vacuum cleaner. Um, yeah, the yeah, I don't... Mm -hmm. I don't know if I love the Dustbuster vans. No? 
No, they're just not ugly enough. Yeah? You know, maybe in the right color I could get behind the ugliness. Well, so believe it or not, these could be had in the later versions with the 3800 series engine. Wow. Which is known to be super reliable as far as GM goes. And some people have actually picked these up with that 3800 series engine and swapped in the supercharged 3800 series engine to give you That's a nice cool. little sleeper van there. Little what I, sleeper dustbuster. What I do like about the dustbuster, though, is... Oh, yeah, I don't have a picture of it. Sorry. So the reason, <laughs> folks, by the way, um, yeah. ideally we would like to put the V8, like overlay the pictures on top of the video if you're watching on YouTube. The reason we don't is because it's a tremendous amount of work for editors. Yes. And this podcast, seriously, last time made like $19. So um, it just it doesn't, it doesn't pay for itself. Oh, I just looked up a picture of a dustbuster. <laughs> Maybe if you put that up, they wouldn't they wouldn't notice the difference. You could put the dustbuster, throw some wheels on the bottom, and you basically have the. Uh, Here we go. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why we don't the, the Pontiac Transporter automobile silhouette. Okay, so here we go. If you're watching YouTube, <laughs> that's the dustbuster. What we're looking at for your podcast listeners is a little wedge from like it's like a 1990s or 80s vacuum. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and now ready for the Oldsmobile. Um, were there multiple names? Did they sell these under different brands? Yeah, three different brands. So the Chevy Lumina APV, the Oldsmobile Silhouette, and the Pontiac Transport were essentially all the same vehicle, okay. just with different bodies, different interior bits, and whatnot. Okay, so the actual Dustbuster. Ready? Look There's the van. Look at that sweet-looking ride. Even in the 1990s blurry photo. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the last alternative you have on here for the Fiat Multipla is the first generation Voyager. Yeah, the Voyager or the Grand Caravan. Um, I actually owned, and the first video I ever did with you guys was with my uh, Voyager that I bought with a manual transmission. Uh, and there are some rare ones out there that actually have a turbocharged, I believe, four-cylinder with a manual transmission in these little vans. And this is... This is the van that really kind of made the minivan what it was all throughout the 90s. This was the trendsetter. It caught on so fast and pretty much replaced all of the wagons back in the late 80s, early 90s, and have since kind of become a cult classic, I think. Now there, you've got a picture of it. It looks like a, it was a K platform, I think, right? It was a K yeah. car underneath the original one, and it could be had with the wood paneling. Would you get one with the wood paneling? Oh, yes, all day. You would? I think that's so cool. I mean, yeah, I know it's not real wood, but that's okay. Wood paneling is cool now. Yeah, I well, was wood paneling ever cool? <laughs> is it cool now? <laughs> I feel now? like it's cooler now than it ever has been. <laughs> <laughs> now is the high watermark for wood paneling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool, kind of a cool, funky alternative. So there you go. If you, I don't know why we started with this car, but everyone's clicked <laughs> out by now. But if you want some kind of weird 1990s blobs, yes, you can import a Fiat Multipla, but there were plenty 90s blobs here in the in the U.S. as well. Absolutely. And so now that we've properly bored all of you with minivans, uh, we're going to move on to something a little more thrilling. Uh, and 1998 was the first year of the R34 Skyline, which was the last generation of Skyline that we never got here in the U.S. There you go. So the R34 Skyline is a car I know so little about. I know about a hundred times more about the Pontiac Aztec <laughs> than the R34 Nissan GTR. Oh so my gosh. tell me a little bit about this GTR. So this, well, first of all, we're talking the Skyline, not the GTR. So there's the Skyline GTR. What? Uh, which you could not get in 1998. You'd have to wait till 1999, which means if you're going with the 25-year rule, you'd have to wait till next year to be able to import the GTRs. But the Skyline is still a pretty cool car. We're talking the 10th generation of the Skyline. So they had been building them for a long time. And these could be had as either a coupe or a sedan. And their front engine, rear-wheel drive, can be had with a myriad of different engines. The one that I think is actually kind of interesting, the base model has a six-cylinder inline, but it's only two liters. So it's a tiny little six-cylinder, puts out 155 horsepower to the rear wheels. Um, but if you, you step it up, you can get some that have, you know, all the way up to 280 horsepower and all-wheel drive. So, Brendan, you're like, you know, I'm not interested in the all-wheel drive one with the turbocharger. I want the base model. <laughs> The, the smallest, weeniest engine, that's yeah. the one to get, Brendan. Is that I, your official consumer advice here? No. I, I just think it's interesting. I mean, how often have you ever heard about a two-liter six-cylinder? 
Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I had to literally do double, triple take that. I'm like, two liter, six cylinder. Holy cow. And I was looking at it, I'm like, there's no way. That's got to be a four cylinder. And I was reading it right. No, it is a six cylinder engine that's only two liters. It's like the Ferrari F40 had a 2.9 liter V8. <laughs> yeah, little <laughs> tiny cylinders, you know. Exactly. That's really interesting. Okay, keep going. What else do we need to know about the R34? They're actually, if you buy them, uh, I recommend trying to find one as close to stock as you possibly can. Now, importing from Japan, that's not always the easiest thing to do uh, because these are actually quite reliable when they're in stock form. Um, and so here's some of the things to look for. So if, it, if you want the all-wheel drive version, you want to look for the ones that have the, the words four in mm. the name. Any of them that have the words four in them, that's the all-wheel drive version. Uh, any of them that have the 25 in the name, that means they have the upgraded 2.5 liter engine, which put out 197 horsepower. Um, but if you got the 25 turbo four, that's the one that has the, you know, 2.5 liter turbocharged up to 280 horsepower in all-wheel drive. I, It's kind of interesting because like, and it's Americans, the only version of the Skyline that really came to the U.S. was the GTR, right? Like the one that launched right. in 07 or whatever it was. So it's it's interesting that in Japan, the GTR was the top spec, but you had a full line of um, lower trim, less powerful models underneath that. Yeah, and those are going to be the ones that are most common and for most of you, the ones that you can afford. Because GTRs have just, they're stupid expensive. But a lot of the other Skylines are still great fun, enthusiast cars that can be had for a lot more affordable price. I'm looking at some of the prices here because you did some research and you found some in Japan. Prices range here, like one for 11000 one for 21000 one for 24000 Now, the older Skylines you've been able to import for some time, even the GTRs, right. like the R32s. So I've got a buddy named Larry. You've met Larry. Larry, yeah. um, he's got like this little side hustle where he just imports classic um, cars from Japan to the U.S. And he does like the little K-Vans and the little – he does all, all sorts of stuff. Um, and he was saying, because he, he's been a long time living in Japan, that um, in Japan, the GTR R34 is still not going to be legal, apparently, which I didn't know. Right. Um, but people have been buying those up for years, like Westerners, and sticking them into storage facilities – waiting for that 25 years to come into effect. And I guess it's really like upsetting oh Japanese people because these are like their cars, right? And then with series like the Fast and the Furious with all these, the, the, the explosion of the young whippersnappers drifting, right? Sure. You know, darn chillins, get off my lawn. <laughs> but with the explosion in popularity of that, the R34 GTR became like a halo car. So wealthy people started buying them, sticking them in storage facilities only to import them. But he was saying, like, you can't touch one now for under 200 thousand dollars Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. There's so many other cars I'd rather have. And, and hence why, you know, getting a Skyline that's just a little bit slower for a one-tenth of that price seems to make a lot of sense to me because you're, you're still getting the same platform. You're still getting a lot of great performance, rear-wheel drive, good enthusiast car for a heck of a lot less. Are you also a fan of the V6 Mustang? Is it... <laughs> Uh, you do drive one to work sometimes. I actually. do, yeah. yeah. When my other hoopties have broken down, my wife politely allows me to drive her V6 Mustang, which has <laughs> never let us down with over 200,000 miles on it. Spe yeah. Speaking of hoopties, a <laughs> little tangent, what's been going on with the Brendan Fleet hoopties? What's been going on with oh, your, gosh. your fleet? So, yeah, this, is, uh, this has been a bad month for me as far <laughs> as repairs go. Uh, my Jeep Grand Cherokee overheated on me twice. My... Yukon with the 8.1 liter left me stranded in Nebraska trying to make it home from the holidays. Oh, geez. It's still in Nebraska. It's been there for about a month trying to get the transfer case fixed. Um, and this morning, my Ford Explorer wouldn't go into gear. So I don't know if it, <laughs> if it needs a clutch or if it's just out of clutch fluid or what. I don't know. I haven't had a chance to get that to the mechanic yet, but... I cannot wait for, you know, we're, we're shooting this at the end of December. Uh, I cannot wait for New Year's. I will be toasting to end the month of December, and hopefully all of my bad luck with my, my hoopties will go away with it. Well, what do you mean your Explorer <laughs> didn't, wouldn't go into gear? What does that mean? Well, it starts, and I push the clutch in, and I try to put it in first, and it's like it's got the lockout mechanism. Oh, yes. As if the clutch is not pushed in. Uh, so I don't, I, yeah, I'm hoping it's not a clutch, uh, hoping it's just maybe leaking 
clutch fluid or something. I don't know. What um, What's going on with the Acura? Uh, the Acura is fine. It needs brakes. Um, I also found that uh, the dealer I bought it from decided to clear the codes, and it has a bad catalytic converter. Oh, no. That popped on shortly after driving it around, so I get to put a new catalytic converter in that because of a shady dealer trying to clear codes before sending it to the auction. So we're gonna have a video on this shortly, but Brendan actually bought something pretty cool. Um, is it on, I don't think it's on the list, but we'll talk about it here. Brendan bought a, a, a highly depreciated luxury vehicle, yeah. which is actually a pretty cool car. It is, yeah. So the Acura TL, the second gen of them, um, was known to be one of the least reliable cars that Honda as a company ever made <laughs> because their transmissions on them are, they're just awful. People had to replace them about every 50, 60,000 miles. They tried to do a recall on them and replace them, and then those transmissions were also bad. It was just, it was a mess. Uh, and because of that, those things are super cheap because everybody knows, hey, if I buy this thing, I can just plan on putting a transmission into it, even though it's got a 225 horsepower VTEC V6 wow. that's pretty peppy. Um but what a lot of people don't realize is actually the first year of the TL, which is 1999, uh, they had a four-speed automatic that they had been building for a long time and had been perfectly reliable. And uh, for whatever reason, in 2000, they decided to go away from that reliable four-speed automatic to the five-speed. And those are the ones that have problems. So if you get the first year, 99s, they're actually pretty good. Yeah, it gets so bad. We were just talking about this that um, even in like the history of the TL, like the longest part of the history of the TL in the second gen was about how unbelievably terrible the uh, the, the transmissions were. And uh, I think they actually had to, um, there was some kind of, they extended the warranty on those transmissions or something because there was this big class action. Am I, I think I'm right about that. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Yeah, there was a did. class action, right? Yeah, there was a class action lawsuit that extended the warranty on it. However, if you lived in Canada, you were SOL. Yeah, look at this. Uh, Canadian owners. Warranties were not extended. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they were not extended. But again, what a lot of people found when they even extended that warranty and replaced those transmissions, they still failed. They wow. kept failing and failing and still to this day are still terrible transmissions. So I've done a terrible job of pitching it as to why you should buy an Acura TL. Well, but, just the 99s. Yeah. Those are good. But what else... What are some of the good things about the TL now that we've torn them a new one? Yeah, so I mean they're they're pretty peppy. They're like I said, 225 horsepower. They've got VTEC, which sometimes feels like a turbocharger when it kicks in. Um, I think they're kind of a timeless classic. I think they've really aged well. They do look well. They're very comfortable. They're very spacious. They're simple machines. I mean, other than those transmissions, they're actually really well built. Do you have the navigation? I do have the navigation. Uh, mine is missing its hard disk, so it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but interesting thing about the, the navigation on those is the first year, which mine is, you had five different zones for America. And if you, so if you wanted to take a road trip across the country and you didn't have all five zones, you couldn't use your navigation. It would just like <laughs> stop working once you got past a certain point. And so in 2000, they actually updated it to a CD-based or DVD-based system mm. where that got rid of it. But, yeah, it's an early, terrible uh, 
navigation system. That's funny. I uh, I had a car, an old car once that had a navigation from 03. And it's the same. It wasn't, um, I think it was DVD based. I'm not really sure, but it, the, the disc was from 03. So that if you drove it on modern roads that had been built after 03, it thought you were just doing like 75 miles an hour through like farm field, which is pretty funny. <laughs> that is pretty funny. But anyways, we'll have more content on Brendan's Acura on TFL Classics here very, very shortly. Yeah. But we have some alternatives to the legendary Nissan Skyline that were sold here in the U.S., which can be had for pretty cheap, including the Mitsubishi Eclipse GSX. Yeah, so they made uh, two generations of these. The first gen had those cool pop-up headlights. This one that we have pictured here behind us is the second generation GSX. And this was a turbocharged four-cylinder with all-wheel drive that could be had with a stick shift. And, I mean, they're just they're super cool. Uh, they made, were made pretty famous with the very first Fast and the Furious movie. That was the green one that he shifted like eight times <laughs> in the, the drag race. But I, I think they're actually pretty cool cars. Are these front-wheel drive? They are, but if you get the GSX version, they are all-wheel drive. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and I think they have a very similar all-wheel drive system to the Evo. So it's, it's quite a competent all-wheel drive system. Now, the early Eclipse was also uh, shared its platform with the Eagle Right? The Talon. Yep. Eagle Talon. It's a great name for it a... It is. Yeah. Great name for a... Whatever happened to Eagle? That was an interesting company. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, those are essentially the same exact thing as the Eclipse. And I think the Eagle, if you get the Talon TSI, that's the one with the turbocharger and the all-wheel drive system. What I like about Eagle is all their cars had good names. Yeah. The, the Premier. <laughs> the Summit. Okay, the Eagle Wagon was not a very good name. But apart from that, right. they had some good names. Eagle Vision. These are good names for cars. Whoever was helping their PR department definitely did a good job. That's for sure. And from Toyota, we also have a model, the Celica Alltrack. Yeah. And again, they made two generations of these spanning the 80s and the 90s. Uh, again, a turbocharged, four-cylinder, all-wheel drive uh, rally monster. These are, are really cool. Um, I actually had... A Celica GTS, not the all-track version, mm-hmm. um, with the flip-up headlights. And both generations of these have the flip-up headlights. And they're just, they're really cool cars. I think they've aged particularly well. Um, you could still have them for, you know, 10 grand, 15 grand, I think, oh. for a nice one. For an all-track, you think? Mm, I bet an all-track. Oh, yeah, look at that. 12 grand for an all-track. 33 for a really nice one. Yeah. Yeah, you can still do a you can still do an all-track. Interesting. They're much cheaper than I thought they would be. Yeah. Um, did you like your Celica? I did, yeah. Uh, it got totaled out by somebody pulling out in front of me, but I loved it up until that moment. It was great until it wasn't. <laughs> yep, exactly. And then the last one is, so the Skyline can be had in, in a four-door version, so I wanted to give you a four-door option. The Gallant VR4, mm. which kind of predates us getting the uh, Evo. This was Mitsubishi taking a larger their larger sedan at the time and putting a turbocharged four-cylinder engine in it, giving it all-wheel drive and a stick shift. Um, a lot of these you'll find are pretty clapped out, um, but you can still find some nice ones out there. The nice ones do fetch pretty decent money, though. Now, these are also all-wheel drive, too, right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool. So, so other options if you are looking for a Skyline here in the States, but for a little bit less money, perhaps. Yep. All right, next up is a vehicle that I... You just chose cars that I'm completely unfamiliar with. Why well, didn't you choose like a 2CV or like a classic <laughs> Mini? Well, I figure I wanted to I wanted to enlighten people to cars they may not have heard of before. You know, uh, that's why there's that Skyline is actually the only Japanese car that's on this list because I wanted to give you guys some other options. I feel like everybody knows about importing Japanese cars, but very few people realize there's this little uh, country called Australia that made some really cool cars that hearken to some American muscly classics. And the one that I put on our list is the Ford Falcon. This is the sixth generation of Falcon, again, primarily sold in Australia. Um, And believe it or not, when I was searching around for these, a lot of people in Australia kind of use these as like tow vehicles. They kind of use them as like a little workhorse truck. Um, You can find them like lifted and with tow bars and things like that. But... Uh, you know, there was sedans, wagons, youth versions of the Ford Falcon. Um, and 1998 was actually the first year that the Falcon had independent rear suspension. 
Very cool. <laughs> that sounded so so snarky. I do mean that it's very cool. Um, these are such interesting cars to me because the Australian community um, really into their big sedans with monster V8s, right? Like they had the Holden, yep. which came to the U.S. as a Chevrolet SS. And then, of course, Ford had the Falcon, which they never sold here in the U.S., including a little pickup truck version like you talked about. Um, but what is the engine in these puppies? Yeah, so there's a few different options. The base model came with a four liter uh, inline six with 211 horsepower pump into those rear wheels. And you could have that with a manual or an automatic. Um, there was an XR6 VCT version, mm -hmm. uh, which means variable cam timing. And that was a little hopped up, putting it out to 231 horsepower. Or you could also get it with a five liter Windsor V8. Wow. Um, there were a couple different versions, one with 235 horsepower, and the XR8 version had 248 horsepower. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you got to consider that, like, in the late 90s, the Mustang was only pumping out 220, so you could get a sedan with 235, right? And some of the fancy styling and some of the cool bits that come associated with that. Yeah, this is a good find, actually, Brendan. I'm impressed. I don't know how you import a car from Australia because I have never done so, but um, what are the prices on these going for? What have you seen? Yeah, so uh, I think I found an XR6, which is probably the most desirable version of it, that red one that I had there for you. More than the 8? It's more desirable than the 8? Uh, yeah, because they're actually quite lighter. Ooh. And so the horsepower isn't uh, that much less than the XR8, but the fact that how light they are, um, just like this red one that you have here, I think that is an XR6. They look pretty nice. They came with a manual transmission. Yeah, there you go, that one. Oh, yeah. Um, it looks I think like... that one's going for $22,000. So, I mean, they're not super cheap, but when you think about how interesting of a vehicle you could have for twenty two, I mean, figure probably less than $30,000 once you import it. Um, yeah. It, it's pretty cool. Manual transmission in this one, too. We got sporty bucket seats. Yeah, that's an interesting find. Look at that. Wow, what in the heck is that engine? It's inline six cylinder. Oh, I totally missed that. Yeah. Inline six? Wow. Inline six. Crazy, dude. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting find. Now, if you do want a fast sedan and you don't live in Australia, you don't want to go through the faff of driving an import one, what are some of the alternatives? So some of the ones that were sold here in the U.S. when they were new, like the E34 M5, mm -hmm. um, I think it's actually kind of a slept on M5. The, the first gen M5s, the E28s, are incredibly valuable. Uh, the third gen M5s are shooting up in value right now, but I think people have kind of skipped over that E34 M5. And the cool thing about this is it also has an inline six cylinder engine, which BMW is known for, um, just like the original M5, but they made a lot more of these, so they're a lot less valuable. Yeah. This had the S38 version of that three and a half liter inline six, like mid 200 horsepower territory, uh, but a great looking design. Um, I actually like the design of the second gen a lot more than the third gen. So like you said, the E39, the V8 ones are so expensive now. Yes. Um, and then the V10 ones are cheap, but for a reason. But the, uh, the, <laughs> the 34 is a cool looking car, but I never see them up for sale. Yeah, they, they do seem to be kind of uh, hard to come by. I mean, I think they're easier to come by than the E28 M5s. Um, but yeah, you just you never hear anybody really talk about them. Mm -hmm. You never really see a bunch of them come up for, or any of them come up for sale. It's it's almost as if it doesn't exist. It's, it's kind of weird, and that's why I wanted to bring it up, because um, I feel like not enough people are talking about the E34 M5, and it's just, it's a really cool old BMW with that classy styling. Very cool, yep. Prices anywhere from like fifteen all the way up to fifty thousand if you want, like the the touring model, which was the the wagon version. Very very cool car, great car on the list. Um, another fast car on this list, American this time though, is the Impala SS. Yeah, and so around that same time, GM was building the Impala, and they made an SS version of it, which had a V8 in it, rear wheel drive. I don't remember the exact horsepower. I think they're right around the high two hundreds. Um, so pretty comparable to the Ford Falcon, um, but you can't get these in a manual. They, oh, these are auto only? Yeah, these are auto only. They're a pretty comfy ride, uh, but I think they do look pretty cool. Do you honestly. like the blobby? You like the blob, huh? I do, yeah. Embracing the blob. I embrace the blob. <laughs> I'll take a Fiat Multipla or an Impala SS blobby car. I'm happy with that. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and it's the... Um, 
one of the later versions, right? In Paul SS goes all the way back to the 60s. This one, of sure. course, is a 90s model. But pretty cool stuff. And they're not super valuable, right? Yeah, they can. St- I mean, you can still find kind of a ratted out one for under 10 grand. Um, really nice ones are fetching a little over 10 grand, maybe even 20 at the top of the market for a showroom new condition one. But for, I mean, think about what you're getting with just basically a Corvette sedan. Yeah. I think it's still pretty good value. A big squishy sedan with a yeah, Corvette engine. Exactly. And then lastly on the list of high-performance sedans that you can get here in the States, and for cheap, you've got listed the BMW – or the BMW – the Mercedes E55 AMG. Yeah, and this actually made our list of the top cars that you can get for under $5,000 because, believe it or not, these E55 AMGs can be had for less than $5,000. Um but majority of them, you're going to be spending more like seven or eight for a good one. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty cool car. And I, again, think it's a timeless design with those two headlights in the front and those dish wheels. It's just, it's nice. I love the way that these look. It was also one of the last naturally aspirated, um, well, I shouldn't say one of the last. It did a couple others. But nowadays, all the AMG cars are twin turbocharged. This is a good old-fashioned naturally aspirated V8 with just over 300 horsepower. And you got the mono. Well, you like the monoblock wheels. People either love or hate the monoblocks. I love them. You do? They're great. Yeah. 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 It's a very decisive though. Some people love them, and some people are like, I would never put that on a car. I mean, I just think it's it's so distinctly '90s, Merce- '80s, and '90s Mercedes. Mm. You know, uh, especially when you're talking AMG. When I see one of those, I'm like, oh, that must be an AMG. The funny thing about so this is like the W210 generation of. Um, E-Class, which came out in the late 90s, is, so this was like when Mercedes transitioned from the square look to the quad round headlight look. Yeah. And they really dropped the quality down really low on these E-Classes compared to the previous ones. But the good news is they're pretty simple cars. They last a long time. Um, They rust really badly depending on the climate. So don't get a rusty one. But I think they've actually aged pretty well. So I know, like, this really square one from the 80s and the 90s, not something you love, cars I love. Um, but uh, they've aged well. But I think these ones are also, they're looking, they're looking pretty good. Yeah. Again, I think it's, it's a design that is going to continue to age well and only get better as time goes on. Because I think the generation after that, um, I think they were just, they are kind of boring looking. I mean, I know the, the wagon versions look pretty cool, but those are super expensive. The sedan versions... They're, they just look like all other E-classes on the road, the AMG versions. Whereas this, you get those cool dish wheels, and uh, there's, it's really kind of hard to stand out more than that, in my eyes at least. So have you ever – Brendan goes to these dealer auctions every week um, uh, to help out this dealer that he works with. Have you ever seen an E55 wagon – or an E55 um, go through the dealer auctions? Never. Yeah? No. Um, and, and I need to clarify something too. So – I've seen a few in the comments below that people say that I'm a car salesman. I am not a car salesman. I inspect cars for a car dealer and give my recommendations as to whether they should buy said cars or avoid said cars. But I'm not actually a car salesman. So, so when just you, had to say that. <laughs> when you go to these used – yes, that's good clarification. When you go to these used car auctions that, that, that are like dealers only, right? So a dealer gets a car and they don't want to sell it or they can't sell it on a lot. So they'll stick it up basically for wholesale to other dealers. Yep. Um, what percentage of the cars do you, do you recommend your dealer buys versus are, are, are there because like something's broken or something's very wrong with the car? So they usually give me a pretty significant list. I think the the biggest list I've gotten in a day is like 90 cars that I go look at. And I don't think I've ever passed more than 30 cars. So it generally my failure rate is higher than my acceptance rate. So okay. yeah, it, it's you a lot of the cars that are there at the dealer auctions are there for a reason. Okay. And you just have to think about what is is the reason that it's there okay for you or not? And I happen to know that the dealership that I work for, engine and transmission stuff, they're out. They're not going to buy it. Right. Uh, major structural damage, body like major body damage, they're out. They're not going to buy it. Um, and a lot of the newer stuff, which is what they look at, you know, a lot of stuff that's made within the last ten years, I find that the engine transmissions are not holding up well. I mean, there's some cars that I've driven with only 30,000 miles on them that are less than five years old that already have a bad transmission. Well, it's interesting, right? Because so a lot of these cars, someone trades their car up for something better, right? And then the dealer's stuck with it. 
but you got to consider, especially recently, used car market has been so hot that like yeah. dealers are probably selling stuff that maybe even they they typically wouldn't have because they would have gotten pretty good values for it. Absolutely. So the cars that have been showing up have been typically cars that have fundamental issues. Yes. So for example, um, I'll give you an example because Brendan and I were talking about this recently. Like a lot of the cars on your list are Ford Focuses and Ford Fiestas. Yes. Right from like the mid 2010 era. Yeah, and those they decided for whatever reason we're going to take our two cheapest cars that we sell and throw this highly complicated and expensive dual clutch transmission in there, and they just have an absurd, absurd failure rate. I know we talked about my Acura TL, how the transmissions failed on those. It was it was a pretty high rate. These are worse. <laughs> These have like literally like a ninety percent failure rate on those transmissions. I'm sorry if you have one of those with the dual clutch transmissions, like. And it works. Congratulations. You are one of the few. A lot of the ones that get traded into the dealers, you know, usually have a lot of deferred maintenance and aren't holding up well. And it's pretty easy to tell that if they're just slipping a little bit, it needs a transmission. And those transmissions, like it's it's one thing if you can buy it and put one in, but you can't even get those transmissions anymore. So I'm reading an article here from the LemonLawExperts.com and um Looks like there was a class action, right? And then mm-hmm. the automaker, this is a quote, the automaker paid millions of dollars in the 2024 transmission settlement to buy back affected vehicles. The 2020 Fiesta and Focus transmission settlement involved approximately 7,000 drivers. Uh, but it was kind of a big thing because for, I don't know why they went with that dual clutch. Maybe it was weight. Maybe it was efficiency. Maybe they just got a great deal from the transmission supplier on all these dual clutches. Who knows? But when you like see that car on your list, right? And there's typically like, 15 or 20 at any dealer auction at any time. Like, yeah. they look good from the outside. They typically run okay. But how many of those have you cleared over the years you've been doing it for that dealer to be like, yes, yeah, it's probably fine? He probably has uh, – they probably have me looking at minimum of three to four every week. Yeah. Sometimes I've looked at as many as eight or nine every week. Um, I think – and I've been doing this for about a year now. I, I think I've passed maybe three. Well, Maybe four uh, wow. in a year. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it is. It's Maybe it's because we're getting the worst of the worst at the dealer auctions, but it's just, it astounds me. Every time I get in one, my first instinct is, okay, let's test the transmission because I don't even want to waste my time driving it around the lot if I unless I know that it's got a good transmission. Yeah, uh, that's true. Um, do you see that with, like, other vehicles too, like older Nissan CVTs? Do you ever? Actually, um, the CVTs usually aren't bad. I mean, I know they get a bad rap and I, I personally probably wouldn't own one. Yeah. Um, but the ones that end up at the auctions usually aren't aren't slipping. Um, but what I do see a lot of is the Hyundai and Kias with the four cylinders. Yeah. Those almost always have engine knock. Is it turbos? Uh, no, it's like the naturally aspirated, like in the, the Kia... What is the the Fortes and the Hyundai Elantras? You see a lot of those, issues on those. Oh yeah, that have the engine. I I turn them on and they have engine knock. Sometimes with less than a hundred thousand miles on them, the but engine's already bad. We recently just um, <laughs> we were there together after the auction ended, and um, the the dealer called Brendan was like, "Hey, go check out this Ram I bought. Do you remember that Ram?" Yeah, I uh, so on my list, <laughs> I will send them all of my notes. So I send them the notes as to the cars that I passed and the cars that I failed and why I failed those certain cars. And I put on this list that not to buy this Ram because the engine, I think it was, I said ran rough and sounds really bad. (laughs) Uh, So I like turned it on, started and I went, Oh, nope. Scratched it off the list. right? Right. And they decided to make this spur of the moment. Wow. This thing is going so cheap. And they clicked a buy button and bought it and then realized, Oh, you put that on the do not buy list. Can you go take another look at it and make sure it's okay? And I went and I was like, okay. I couldn't remember because I'd looked at like 70 cars that day. (laughs) But I went and restarted that one. I went, oh, this one's bad. This one's really bad. And uh, I actually asked him a couple days ago, followed up on that because that was a few weeks ago. And they got it up there and he's like, yep, bad engine. Have no idea what we're going to do with it. Wow! It's just so they right had now. to buy it because they won it at the auction, huh? Yeah, it's I mean, that's what the the risk you take at buying at those dealer auctions is. You're just you're buying the car, and generally you're going to get stuck with it, even if it's got a major issue. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the list here because number four, another car which recently became legal, is the Alfa Romeo 166. Legal to import, I should say. Exactly. <laughs> yes, let me be very clear. It can drink now. Yeah, it can drink it. now. Yeah, it can rent itself. But anyways, <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is the first year of the 166, uh, which actually 
actually replaced the much more boxy Alfa Romeo 164. Uh, now this is a front engine, front wheel drive car. Uh, so not super enthusiast friendly, but keep in mind, this is an Alfa Romeo. So compared to having, you know, a Mercedes or a BMW, you get to drive around in a unique and probably somewhat problem-laden <laughs> Alfa Romeo. Uh, these came with a bunch of different engines. So you could have a 2-liter inline-four with 153 horsepower, a 2.5-liter V6 with 187 horsepower, a myriad of uh, diesel engines, which, I mean, come on, if you're importing an enthusiast car, let's stick with the gas engines. Um, but the top-tier one is the 3-liter V6 with 223 horsepower. Wow. I will say... Um so you did find a couple for sale here. We're yeah. looking at one in the UK. Just 5,000 pounds. It's like five, $6,000. And it's looking really – the seats, especially in the si inside, are really nicely bolstered and beautiful. Do you like the exterior design? It kind of looks like it's – It's not my favorite. It Alfa looks Romeo. like the front end took some inspiration from that Dustbuster. You know, it's kind of <laughs> yeah, squinty a and a little bit sad looking in the front. You do have that Alfa Romeo nose, which kind of, you know, comes down at a point that I do like. But the rest of it is... Yeah, you got the grill. You got it, like that little know, it, trident grill, yeah. It's not great, but I do think for the amount of money that you'd spend on one of these, uh, getting, you know, an Italian sporty sedan with a manual transmission and really nice leather seats for... $5,000 to $6,000, uh, pretty good deal, I think. And the thing that I saw, too, is when you pop the hood on those, they have, like, these polished... Um, oh, the runners, like the, the intake runners? Yeah, the intake runners, and it's just it's a gorgeous-looking engine. Hopefully you can find an image for us to pull up. And I, and I know they did it on the 3-liter oh, yeah. V6. That is a beautiful engine. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I think they use something similar like on the GT V6 too, right? Just a beautiful design on a V6 engine. Yeah, that is gorgeous. You know, V6s are typically engines I don't love that much, but Alfa Romeo does the best V6s in the world. Yeah, they sound amazing. Um, they look fantastic. I mean, you can pop the hood on that at any car show, and you are going to get people walking over and drooling over that engine. Stunning, yeah. Now, if you don't want an Alfa Romeo and you live in the States, um, the first car on our list is a car that it's just – why? Why is this on our list here? <laughs> well, uh, so this is a front wheel. The Alfa Romeo is a front wheel drive car, right? Yeah. Front wheel drive sporty sedan. And so I went with what if you wanted another front wheel drive sporty sedan? Let's say this is your only car, so it needs to be able to drive in the snow, but also be fun and unique, right? And so that's why I added the first one is the Ford Contour SVT, another car no one ever talks about. <laughs> it, but do they not talk about it for a good reason, or is it, I don't know much about this car. What what are we looking at here? So, so yeah, these had a V. They were a, just like the Alfa Romeo, a V6 front wheel drive sedan, and the SVT only came in a manual transmission with fairly bolstered seats, um, putting out similar horsepower. I think they were around 220 horsepower, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they also sound pretty good. I think in Europe they were known as the Ford Mondeo. 200 horsepower. 200 horsepower, okay. There you go, 0 to 60. Sprints to 0 to 60, according to Edmonds, in just 7.5 seconds. Not bad for the 90s. Not bad for the 90s. I have heard that there is a fantastic following for these cars. Like, people are viciously passionate about their Ford Contour SVTs. Yeah, and I think it's... I know it's kind of an unsung car, right? But... I've actually kind of always liked the way they look. It's it's kind of a unique design where the hood has these like two indentations where it come then it also comes back up in the middle, um, and then it's got this interesting body kit going around it. It's it's just quintessential late '90s, early 2000s. It's it's when Ford decided I'm going to put the SVT badge on just about everything. <laughs> and the Contour was the smallest of of them. Uh, that I think they put it on. Manual transmission. That's yep. good. Only manual transmission, apparently. And then I'm reading this article from Haggerty here. Peak RPM, 6,600. Peak power, excuse me. So uh, that's pretty, pretty, you got to rev the, the Wii out of it to go anywhere. <laughs> but I, I do kind of appreciate these kind of unsung heroes of forgotten cars. Because, like, the cars that were forgotten are now very well known. Yeah. Right? Like, 
Grand Nationals, right? They used to be kind of under the radar, and now they blew up. Typhoons and cyclones, right? Same thing under the radar, now they blew up. The Contour SPT, still very much under the radar. Absolutely. And that's what we are bringing you here, and this is why we want your support for our podcast, because I'm going to continue to bring you cars that you may have completely forgotten about, and the vast majority of the public has never even heard of. Such as the Taurus Show, or SHO, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Yeah, the Taurus SHO, uh, and I, I think I'm specifically referencing like the first and the second gen uh, SHO because you could have those with a manual transmission. Yamaha built uh, V6 up front, I think pumping out again about 220 horsepower to the front wheels. So again, very similar to the Alfa Romeo, but American version. Um, and these are actually pretty reliable vehicles. They're fun to drive. They're pretty comfortable. I like them. So on the list, you have the early generations, right? Yep. Um, why not the later one with the V8? So the V8, uh, first of all, I think the V8s uh, or the third gen Tauruses are kind of ugly in my opinion. <laughs> um, well, sorry, everybody's opinion yeah. is that they're, they're ugly. <laughs> that and I think the transmissions were made of glass. Okay, um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you, you made it a V8 to this transmission that already wasn't very good. And then you gave it even more power, and they're just they're known to go out. I mean, I'm kind of more into the third gen, just really? because it's fantastically ugly. I mean, <laughs> everything about it, right? Like the this was the the blobby egg generation of the Taurus. Yeah. Um, and they tried to improve it with like the side skirts and the the, the bumper treatment and the wheels, but they really haven't done it. Plus, That's you get true. that V8 rrr, V8 growl, and then people also forget there was actually um, another generation after that, the fourth generation, which had that EcoBoost engine. Yeah. Well, in those. I don't know that they're classics necessarily, or at least not yet, um, but they have dropped quite a bit in value. I've been seeing them at auction lately. Yeah? Um, yeah, the dealer that I work for actually just picked one up at auction. I think it had like 130,000 miles, and they bought it at auction for 6000 bucks. It was an SHO? It was an SHO. Wow. And it was in really nice shape, too. I think I want to say those were all-wheel drive. Yeah, yeah. They, they all came with all-wheel drive, and they had the, I think it was a twin-turbocharged V6 pumping out about 365 horsepower. EcoBoost, so, yeah. Yeah, potent, potent machine for yeah, sure. Yeah, big power, yeah, for sure. Did you drive it? Yeah. Was it fast? They are quick. They yeah. are super quick. And you can tune those things, and they can pump out ridiculous amounts of power. And a lot of people don't realize, too, they made a Lincoln version of that, too. I think it's called the MK... Gosh, I get so confused with oh, the gosh. Lincoln nomenclature. It's just terrible. MKZ? MKC? <laughs> uh, MKX? Y? Z I don't equals. know. Here we go. Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln. Uh, MKS. MKS. Oh, it's the one I didn't you, guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Lincoln MKS is essentially a Ford Taurus SHO. Uh, and they are, again, still pretty affordable, Less, generally less than $10,000 from what I'm seeing. Yeah, but ugly. Yeah, they're ugly, but they're comfy, By luxurious, the way, and fast. Did you ever buy your comfy, luxurious boat you wanted? Brendan was shopping for town cars and Crown Victoria. No, specifically town cars, actually. You wanted a long wheelbase town car there for a while. I still kind of do. Yeah, I still, cool. I still want a town car, and I actually came really close to buying one at auction. Um, the problem is, is all the other people in the dealer world have caught on to them as well. The, the last generation Lincoln town car, it has, I think the single most comfortable seat I have ever sat in, <laughs> in my life. And that includes my couch at home. Uh, it, 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 there would just be nothing better to take a road trip in. I, I actually, I ended up buying that Acura TL as kind of a comfy cruiser car. Are you and happy with it instead of the town car? It's okay. Using a lot less gas. Yes, that's for sure. And it'll be better in the snow than a town car. What but, are those town cars going for at auction now? What are they? Um, well, I gave what I didn't get to go to the auction, but I gave the dealer that I work for the approval to buy it if they can get it for five grand or less. Yeah. Uh, it ended up going for six. Oh, you were close. So I was close. So I'm getting close to buying one of those Lincoln town cars. One of these days I will have one. The issue is that everything else Brendan owns is broken. So you got to fix yeah. the broken stuff, sell it, and then get your town. But you want Brendan wants the he wants a long wheelbase town car. Ideally, like yeah. the not the full stretch limo, but like the partial limo. Yeah, like the uh, I think they just called them the L. Why do you want that? Because it, I'm weird <laughs> and odd. I don't know. Wait, you want to get driven around in it? Or are you going to get someone to your wife to drive you around in the town car? I guess in my head, I have the the 
the thinking that people are going to get in and go, oh, wow, look at all the leg room I have back here. I, and just want to ride around with me for days, and I'll just be everybody's just favorite Trying to chauffeur. get more friends is what you're doing there. Yeah, there you there go. You go. And um, let's go back to this list. Sorry, well, we keep getting, but it's fun. Um, the Volvo 850 is another cool alternative to the Alpha 166. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know a ton about these, but I know um, you could have them with some hopped-up versions. I think they even had a turbo five-cylinder, Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Front-wheel drive-based, again, but I think you could get all-wheel drive versions of them. Sure. Again, you could also get them in a manual or an automatic, but I think the manuals are pretty rare. Um but it's still it, another comfortable, luxurious type of vehicle to drive around. They did them in yellow. Um, by the way, cream yellow was marketed in the Australian market as faded yellow to compensate for the unrelenting Australian sun. Oh, really? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Gothenburg engineers were aware of the 1990s paint technology and the fact that it wouldn't retain its deep luster over the course of time. And hence the clever marketing descriptor. Faded yellow was coined, according to Wikipedia. Interesting. But these are cool cars, especially if you get the turbocharged models. Definitely get the turbos. And then in the wagon, you also had the 850R, which had that 2.3-liter um, turbocharged engine, up to 250 horsepower. Wow. Um, yeah, with the manual transmission, which is pretty good, versus 240 for the automatic. So I definitely am on board with the 850. I think it's a great choice. But the last import car on our list you went way off the reservation here <laughs> yeah i went again back to uh our australian friends down there and so i have owned a few suburban 2500s um my first one was based off of the gmt 400 platform and those had a pretty big what was it 7.4 liter v8 i know it's like a 454 v8 um that could tow and Sounded awesome and really cool, but w what you may not realize is in Australia, they sold a Holden version of it with the 6.5 liter turbo diesel. So you could have a heavy duty GMT 400 with a diesel engine. You just have to bring it from across the pond, well, across the big pond in Australia. Could you not get the, the Suburban in a diesel here in the States? I didn't not that, that I could find. I was looking it up and I was trying to, you could get the trucks in the with the 6.5 diesel, but you couldn't get the, the three row Suburban with the 6.5 diesel. So I love that you found this. So it was called the Holden Suburban, right? Because Holden, yep. Australian GM. And it's just a GMT 400, with a Holden badge, I mean, there's no difference. Yeah, I'm looking at the marketing, uh, the marketing campaign here, and some of the pictures, like this picture, it literally says Chevrolet on the back. I of know it. they didn't even take the time to put the Holden version in their the, own They're like, shirt. well, we only have a picture of the back with the Chevrolet. And they're like, ah, just say how it's American. Um, but yeah, that look at that big V8 petrol or V8 turbo D turbo diesel. You're right. That's really interesting. Very interesting. Um, I am completely on board with these. Um, it doesn't even say Holden on the steering wheel. It just says airbag. Look at, look at that. <laughs> well, it's probably they used that Chevy and just kind of covered it up there with their advertising. Well, listen well. to this. Not just badged for Australia. Holden took a proven American heritage and tested it extensively down under before carefully specifying it for Australia, also known as we had to cover up the Chevy badge with the Holden thing and just ship it. <laughs> uh, but that turbo diesel is pretty cool. I am completely on board with these. These are some of my favorite, not the Holden. Um, look at this, Brendan. Under the colors, they don't even have the Holden. It's I know, just bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Now I'm on board with this entirely because um, GMT 400, which is this generation of truck, are some of my favorite ever. They're just fantastic. They're big and comfortable, and they go a bajillion miles, and they're immensely capable, and they're good off-road, and they tow well, and they hold your whole family and every friend you can imagine. They're just the lovely, lovely loveliest of vehicles. Um, so the alternative I would suggest is the GNC Suburban or the, <laughs> the, the Chevy Suburban. Yeah. I mean, just keep in mind, you're, you're going to get it with a gasser V8. You know, it's, it's that, fine. It's that 454 V8, which is a fantastic motor. Well, hold up. Brendan's a big fan of the HD models, the 2500, yes. with the eight lug axles and the big engine. I like the 1500s more. Really? The you like them more? Yeah, I do. Why, because of the gas mileage? Well, yeah, they still get 14. But they're more <laughs> comfy. 
because the, oh. the, the 2500s the had stiffer suspension because they could tow more and haul more. That's the 1500s true. have the, the light-duty suspension, so they just kind of waft. Um, but they don't tow as much, and they're not as good off-road, and they're not as robust. Although but yours exploded, so maybe the yeah, 2500s well. <laughs> aren't as robust either. Yeah. Well, I mean, it took 300,000 miles for that transfer case to go. But Which is pretty good. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. 300,000 miles. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I see where you're going because I, I did have I'm – I'm more of a GMT 800 fan myself, the the more blobby styling one. Well, that's an interesting choice. Why are you an 800 fan? Um, I prefer the styling. I think the seats are actually more comfortable. More comfortable. Yeah, because the thing that I find with the GM – oh, sorry, my seat squeaked there. But the uh, the GMT 400s, what I find is the – the their seats are a little bit short, so they're they my thigh isn't oh, as supported. supported as it is with the GMT 800s. Big thigh support guy, huh? Yeah, you gotta get a lot of that. <laughs> That's why I like a lot of those older European cars that have the extending thigh support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it actually makes a seat way more comfortable. I think I like that. Um, yeah, good point. Um, I just I like the square nature of the 400s. The 800s yeah. too. Uh, the gas ones are um, an LS essentially, right, in the light duty, whereas the 400s are the older, the older iron block versions. But uh, either one, you can't go wrong. They're great. Right. Yeah, they're both great. Another car you had on this list is the Excursion, if you yep. want an alternative. Right? Yeah, and if you want to get the diesel, you're going to pay a pretty penny for those diesel excursions. They have they've uh, shot up, shot in, up value. in value right now. But, 100%. Um, you can still get V10s for a fairly reasonable price, but... They're not going to be as reliable, I think, as the Suburbans. Um, well, they last a really long time, um, but um, I don't know. They're fine. Yeah. They're fine. The V10s are fine. They're just kind of underpowered for, for the size of the vehicle. Um, and then lastly on here, you also have the Sequoia. Yeah, which I think you guys in another list recently put it as one of the longest-lasting vehicles yeah, they last of forever. all time. <laughs> yeah. So if you get a V8 three-row Sequoia, it's, you know, it's up there. As cool as it's maybe not as cool as a suburban, but it'll probably actually outlast one. Right now, should we finish up the podcast with some mean comments from the last <laughs> week's episode? Oh sure. Um, all right, let me go. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is I want to talk on some of the comments on the uh, the classics episodes. Which so one? We recently put out that mini video, <laughs> and I have to say, this was my first time. Being in a, a mini video, if you don't count the, the, the classics drag race that we did, but uh, this is my first time putting my mini on there, and holy cow, you guys are like, geez, another mini, and I'm like, this is my first one <laughs> putting on the channel. <laughs> the other thing, too, is I don't think I've done a mini video on that channel for like a year. Um, it's been a while, but the, the point is we do like minis. We're trying to get more folks into minis, because, not because they're paying us. Right. That'd be great. Maybe we need sure. to start paying yeah. us. Hey, Minnie, um, I'll take some money if you want. We just think they're <laughs> incredibly fun cars at a good value that are not as unreliable as everybody on the internet will wave their hands and scream about. Yeah, and, and in general, I think anybody that clicks onto a video that comments, oh, those things are piles of garbage or Euro trash or whatever, like I, I can tell from your comment that you've never actually owned one or right. driven one for that matter. Because if you had actually owned one or driven one, you would know, yeah, maybe they're not not as reliable as a Toyota, but we're enthusiasts. Are we only going to uh, only allowed to buy reliable cars? Because if so, that severely limits what we can actually buy. It's true, hundred yeah. um, percent. Comments from last week's podcast. SVOs are not as cool as a V8. So last week we talked about the Fox body Mustang. Someone's saying the SVOs never as cool as the V8. Yeah, and when it comes to sound, I have to agree with you. The V8 sound from a, a Fox body Mustang is, it honestly, it's intoxicating. It just sounds so good. Um, but how many people are there out there that own an SVO? How many SVOs have you seen? I, I guarantee you that you've seen a heck of a lot less of them than you have the V8 version, and isn't rarity an interesting and cool thing to have? I I think that makes it more cool. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, Racing for the Sun says, how did y'all not bring up the Previa? <laughs> well, we did. We did. <laughs> Thanks for your comment, and because of that, I added it to this podcast. So. And YouTube Car Spotters Guide said, V8 Infinity FX45 M30 Coupe. Brendan, I'll have you know, is a big fan of Obscure Infinities. Yeah, I actually do like the FX. Those are pretty rad looking. Um, I Every time I see one at the auction, I go and sit in it and try and drive it. But 
they're all clapped out. <laughs> they all have a lot of issues going on. I don't know if it's just that generation of Nissans yeah. were bad or if the owners themselves were bad. Or, or, <laughs> Blame the owners, or, Brendan. Or, or what, but um, I want to own one. Trust me, I'm trying actively to buy an FX45, but there was one at this auction last week, and I get into it, and I start it, and the engine sounds horrible. The seats are ripped up. The dash is all cracked. It's They're... Everyone I've seen, they're just all clapped It's a V8, out. right? Yeah. The 45? Yeah. The 45. The 35 is the six-cylinder, and the 45 is the V8. And lastly, I thought we already knew the Nissan pickup was very desirable and overpriced like 15 years ago. We got to bring up the Nissan Harbody. It's been <laughs> in every single podcast. It's the greatest truck known to the face of the planet by a Nissan Hardbody. <laughs> yep, exactly. Hardbodies, Pathfinders of the first gens, they're just the best for the money that you can buy. Everybody is out there buying old Toyota Tacomas and Forerunners and whatnot, but these you can have for, what, a third, a quarter of the price? So I still think, even though they've gone up in value and they may be too expensive for you, they are still undervalued. 100%. And we are starting a new thing. You don't even know about this yet because I just came up with this. But if you want to be part of the TFL Talk podcast and have any classic questions or suggestions, Hit us up on Patreon, leave us a comment, leave us a short video, whatever it may be, and we'll include it in next week's, and we'll answer your questions. We can talk about classics. You can tell us how we're stupid, how we're right about stuff, and what you want to hear on the podcast. That's uh, TFL on Patreon. I'll include a link on the description below. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, I'm always up for suggestions. I'm here scouring the internet, trying to give you the most obscure, weird classics that I possibly can. But maybe there's something that you guys have thought of that I haven't, and you can help me out and we'll talk about it. 100%. Well, guys, thanks for so much for um, listening and watching, depending on how you, you know, intake your podcasts. And we'll see you in the next Classics one. Take care, guys. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.